0: On today's episode of the Keto Camp podcast, we're going to talk about addiction, especially sugar and food addiction with the one and only Karen Thompson.
1: that if we are not connected with our values and are very clear on our personal value system, that we can live a positive life that's not, you know, motivated by obsession and addiction and anything else. Like, I think once we get clear on our values, that's when we stop looking for external substances to soothe this internal problem because we know who we are and we know what drives us. And when we operate from that place, that stuff falls away.
0: We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Cam podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Thank you so much for pressing play today. We bring on Karen Thompson. She's from South Africa, so you'll hear her lovely accent. She currently lives in the United States. She's gonna share her story of dealing with really rocky times as a kid and how that led to a hole in her life. And she was filling that hole with certain addictions especially sugar addiction. And she has overcome that. She'll talk about her steps and what she did to overcome that and why she's on a mission to help individuals overcome their addictions. She is the author of the book, Sugar-Free, Eight Weeks to Freedom from Sugar and Carb Addiction. She has an incredible podcast. She's the founder of The Sugar-Free Revolution, She has helped so many people overcome their sugar addiction. She loves keto, she loves carnivore, she loves all the things we teach, we'll talk about that. We're also gonna take a deep dive into the role of keto and fasting to overcome addiction. You're gonna hear the backstory on how she brought the biggest low carb conference to South Africa, working with Professor Tim Noakes, super cool story. How she got involved with working with CrossFit Health, the story with Greg Glassman, awesome story. I'll share a little bit about my experience in the CrossFit world. I used to own a CrossFit gym. We'll discuss carnivore, why we love it as a reset but not a long-term solution, and some of the misconceptions around plant toxins. We'll discuss artificial sweeteners as well, the difference between motivation and inspiration. She said that was one of the best questions anybody has ever asked her. Wait till you hear her answer because her answer was phenomenal. You're going to love her energy. You're going to love her passion and her knowledge. She's so much fun. Get ready for Karen Thompson. Before I bring her on, I want to acknowledge today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Juana, titled, Bright and Informative. Ben brings an awesome verve to his podcast. He has a genuine interest in his guests covering topics from dental health to, of course, the keto diet. There's a lot to unpack here, so be prepared. Highly recommend for anyone who's interested in their health. Oh, Wana, thank you so much. We do cover a lot of topics, heavy metals, dental health, cavitations, root canals, mental health, meditation, and of course, ancient healing strategies like ketosis, fasting, carnivore, et cetera. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. It really, really helps. Hey, if you have not left the Keto Camp podcast, a rating or a review as of yet, please do so. On whatever platform you're listening from, it really helps. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. Okay, let's take a deep dive into sugar addiction with Karin Thompson. Karin Thompson is the founder of Sugar-Free Revolution, an online program that aims to aid people in getting rid of their sugar and carbohydrate addiction. Karin has over 15 years of experience promoting health, nutrition, and addiction recovery. She suffers, and you're going to hear the story, from cocaine and sugar addiction, not knowing her purpose in life, and slowly drowning from her suffering. Eventually, she overcame all of that. She's teaching the world to do the same. Here's the amazing Karen Thompson. Karen, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Ben, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a privilege, and I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I know this is something that we try to set up. I think maybe two years ago or so, and it got rescheduled to today. So we're doing it today. Uh, we've been collaborating a little bit. You got some summits and cool things that you're doing, and I, I love what you're doing. You're just a genuine human being first and foremost. But your story is really relatable, and I'd love for you to go back and share. I know it's a, a long. It's been a long journey for you, and a lot of lessons. And oh my gosh, like you, you've done so many great things with what people would perceive as challenges that you've turned into opportunities. But did it start when you were four years old? I know you lost a mom and a brother at that age. So did it start then?
1: Um, you know, it's so interesting because, first of all, thank you for acknowledging me and for acknowledging my journey. It, it means the world to me. It really does. I, you know, I look at myself as a pretty insignificant person in, in the bigger picture, you know, because we all have our stories and we all have our struggles. And so, um, you know, so thank you. Thank you for allowing me the space to tell my story. So, at the age of four, my uncle died. And what happened is that my uncle died uh, from a drug overdose. And so, you know, addiction has been rife in my family from as far as I can remember. Like, addiction has caused so much suffering, not only in my own life, right? But in everyone's lives, and it's touched so many people's lives. And so, At the age of four, my my uncle died from a drug overdose in the bath. And I remember I was four years old. I remember this phone call that my parents got, and no one told me what was going on, but we were left with a nanny and and they disappeared. And up until that point in my life, my mom and my grandmother, whose son it was that had had just died, were my primary caregivers, right? So they were the people that nurtured and loved and supported and guided me. And when this huge event happened, this massive trauma, it's almost like they withdrew out of my life because they were trying to make sense of what was happening and they didn't have the emotional capacity to probably be as present as they would want to be. So I was confused. I didn't understand where I was meant to get my comfort and my support and my love, because these two figures that had been my guiding force were suddenly just gone. And, you know, by no fault of theirs, you know, because they were going through such a huge life change. And my dad, who worked full time, really became the rock in my life at that point. And um, he would work full time and then he would come home at night and he would always bring me a Coca-Cola and a flake chocolate right? And when he came home, it was like comfort, stability, support arrived. And so I started associating these foods, this Coca-Cola and this like sugar and processed and refined foods with comfort, love, support, stability. And so throughout my life, when I feel like I need comfort, when I feel like I need support, when I feel like I need stability, I automatically start craving that. You know, one, because it actually does give you a dopamine hit, like it, you know, the real neurological response from having junk food and sugar is a real thing. And two, because of this emotional connection that I have with these external substances. Um, And so that's really where, when I look back, and it was only in retrospect, once I'd been through rehab for drugs and alcohol, that I was able to make this connection between sugar and my emotional health and, you know, this physiological response as well.
0: When you made that connection, that's a huge connection. When you made that connection, what did that feel like to you?
1: Oh, Ben, it was like one of those light bulb moments. You know, those moments where you're just like, excuse me, I'm gonna swear. I was like, this all suddenly makes sense. It's like these pieces of the puzzle were like all over the place. And now suddenly I can see the picture and I can see it clearly. And you know what it, it led me to do? Is it led me to look at other foods that I have this affinity for, Testo pasta, for instance, and not that that's necessarily the worst thing in the world, knickknacks, which the closest thing in the United States to that is Cheetos, like very freaking processed and lots of like coloring and stuff attached to it, and grilled cheese sandwiches. And so it was so funny because I could look at each one of these foods and see that each one of those filled a different emotional, psychological need for me. And it allowed me by identifying those foods to see What else can I do to meet these needs that doesn't involve highly processed, refined foods? So when I need comfort, what can I do instead of reaching for a Coca-Cola or a flake? I call my best friend or I go out and like engage in community and a group activity, you know, or I call my dad or something. You know, with a grilled cheese sandwich, it was very much related to just wanting to just feel grounded and just this need for um like it's gonna sound crazy but wholesome food (laughs) and most of the time when I crave these foods it's not because I'm hungry I'm never hungry when I crave them you know otherwise I would go have a proper meal but you know with like the grilled cheese sandwich and wanting to feel grounded like I get into nature or I go to my horse or you know I have other behaviors and things that I engage in now when those things hit
0: Wow. Yeah, that's such an amazing awareness to have right there. So you started to identify certain cravings, and you call addictions more compulsions than cravings. Could you explain why you call it that?
1: So the official term for addiction is the compulsive pursuit of a substance or a behavior despite the negative consequences, right? And so for me, anytime I'm compulsively thinking or feeling Thinking about something or someone, even you know, compulsively, and the consequences of engaging with that person or that substance is negative. That is an addiction to me, right? But instead of calling it an addiction, which can have a very negative connotation, for me, compulsion kind of externalizes it from me, there being something intrinsically just wrong with me, to this is a behavior that I've engaged in, or that has become a habit that I can change because it's just a behavior or it's just a thought. So how do I change this compulsion into something positive or get rid of it or, you know, move away from it?
0: Mm, What a great question to ask. So if if you change the compulsion to something positive, somebody might call it an addiction, but uh, an obsession, we'll use that word. Would that be considered something that's to you you're you know it's not necessarily an addiction because you're using it for the betterment of yourself and humanity or would that still be, be problematic if it's an obsession?
1: well it's it all depends on the consequences
0: mm, okay
1: so here's the thing like we we all use words and narrative in a different way and words have different meanings to each one of us right so what I call certain things is because it resonates in a way with me that makes sense. And that allows me to choose the better option. So somebody may think of obsession as a horrible thing, or somebody may feel obsession is okay, you know, and I can work with that. What separates that from this addiction mindset, or compulsive mindset is the consequence. So what is the consequence of this obsession, this Addiction, this compulsion. Is it positive? Am I more productive? Am I reaching my goals? Am I, you know, bettering myself and society? Or is this leading me into a deep, dark place of shame and guilt and fear? Because those three are like the addiction trifecta.
0: It's a great distinction right there. Yeah. So it's about the consequence. All right. So let's say somebody watching and listening right now, Karin, is dealing with. Food addiction—they have a compulsion. They haven't made those connections like you did. Maybe they were craving Cheetos instead of uh, what was it called, knickknacks instead of knickknacks. But certain foods are like their go-to uh, when they're dealing with stress. How did they get started? You
1: know, for me, where I got started was that I was lucky enough to go to rehab. I was lucky enough to go to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation facility that used the twelve-step program, and to me. The 12 step program is one of the most incredible self-development programs in the world. It's a spiritual program that leads us to a spiritual awakening, essentially. And that's one of the promises of this program but you can work it on anything. I can work it on a relationship. I can work it on a substance. I can work it on a behavior. I can work it on a person. I can work it on a situation, anything that I feel powerless over or anything that I have to admit that I need to be powerless over. Cause really all I can control are my own thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors. I cannot control anybody else or anything else outside myself. And so, you know, getting access to something like that which is a program that I work with somebody who has more experience than me and that also has a community component to it where you are faced with people who are in the same boat as you who can share those experiences so people don't feel so alone you know because I think with social media, I mean, you know this, Like, it feels like, it seems like everybody else's life is perfect, that nobody else has these struggles, like that no one else is like desperately trying not to open the fridge at 10 PM and eat the bars of chocolates that are in there or whatever it is, you know? And so I think, you know, once you find that community where people are open and honest and authentic, that's when healing can really start because healing to me starts with identification and ownership.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're so right about social media. It's, it's the highlight reel of people's lives. They're not going to show a video of them struggling to <laughs> go to the pantry and eat the chocolate, right? You're not going to see that for the most part. So community program is where you, is where you recommend to start. Program, mm.
1: yeah. Program, so finding, and I'm not saying that people have to do the 12 steps. Like it's super beneficial, but it doesn't work for everybody. So find a community. And there's so many out there, Ben. I mean, you have KetoCamp. There are other people who have other communities that are super supportive and wonderful. And so find that community of people where you feel like you belong.
0: How important is it for the person to get clear on their highest values, what's important to them and live congruently to that?
1: That is the single most important thing in life, in driving anything, in driving passion and purpose in changing the way we are. I don't believe that if we are not connected with our values and are very clear on our personal value system, that we can live a positive life that's not, you know, motivated by obsession and addiction and anything else. Like I think once we get clear on our values, that's when we stop looking for external substances to soothe this internal problem because we know who we are and we know what drives us. And when we operate from that place, that stuff falls away.
0: Oh, I love it. Single most important thing. I agree with you so much there. hundred percent. But the, the, the question that people, the challenge that people might be having is I don't know what's important to me. How do I identify my highest values? How do they do that?
1: Yeah, I it's so interesting cuz maybe like 6 months ago I decided and it was just before I lost my job at CrossFit. I decided that I was going to do this authentically me challenge. I was going to take 21 days and develop this 21-day authentic living authentically challenge, right? And so um my friend Mike and I actually like did like we we shared a lot of what we were going through and we devised these daily questions of how to live authentically, and I put it in Chat GPT, and I
0: was like, <laughs> Chat
1: GPT, <laughs> Brilliant. how do
0: live
1: authentically? It was so funny, and Chat GPT obviously didn't come up with how to live authentically. But I was like, Hey, devise some journal questions that I can ask myself to figure out how to live authentically. And you know what came was the values. Get clear on your values. So these are the questions that I have to ask myself, and I'm happy to share. Like the questions I asked myself with your listeners in show that notes. That would be
0: amazing. Yeah. I think that would be helpful.
1: Totally. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll create a document for you where I, I just share the, the questions I asked myself. And it was 21 days of like a little quote that inspired me with some questions. And I really, through that process of 21 days, really banged, got so clear on my values. But in doing that, I got so clear on my passion and my purpose. And I remember the day that I got so clear on that. And I just, it was one of those moments again where I felt so humbled and so alive. And I felt so centered and I felt so good about myself. And I was like, my passion and my purpose here on earth is to help people fall in love with themselves and the experience of being alive. And if I can help one person do that, then I'm winning.
0: Beautiful, that's so important. It's so important when society is taking us in the opposite direction of that. And what that does to lead to these these symptoms, essentially like addiction, compulsion, and other health symptoms, they're all signals and, and the body speaking to you think something's out of homeostasis. Let's figure out what is going on here. Put the nervous system back in alignment. And it starts with what you just said, which is getting clear on your highest values and then doing everything you can do to tie your calendar and your actions with your highest values. And the cool thing about that is that it's unique to that person and not everybody, everybody in the world has a different highest values, a different unique purpose they're here for.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, just because somebody else may have the same purpose as me doesn't mean that my purpose is any less important or I'm not going to achieve it. Like, I wish we could move away from that thing in society where we're all in competition because we're not. We're all here to support each other in belonging and understanding what that means. But I mean, I you know, I've got this notebook here, actually, that I don't even know why I brought it, but it's like it's just pages and pages and pages of my purpose, my values, my passion, my mission statement that I then wrote for myself. So I wrote a mission statement based on my values and my purpose that I write out every single morning before I do my visualizations and my meditations.
0: This reminds me yeah. a lot of Dr. John Martinis' work. Do you know his work or have you studied him?
1: Uh, yes, I love him. It's so funny because I had his books when I lived in South Africa and this was maybe like 15, 20 years ago. And I've been wanting to find the book. So I'm so glad you mentioned it because it's, it's one of those things where I now need to actually go do it. But I remember how he was like, you know, you can have sh- situations in your life and you don't want to be part of it, like a job that you don't like. The way to get over that and not just to be like, oh, I'm going to run away is to be like, how does this job help me maintain the values that I have, maintain the things that are most important to me? That's such a cool, important lesson.
0: Yeah, that's such an important lesson, and he, he's terrific. I was actually just listening to his book right before we hit record here. I, I study him all the time. He's had him on my podcast a couple of times too. He's fantastic.
1: Stop. You yeah. had?
0: Yeah, twice. Yeah.
1: I'm so jealous. I was like, what happened to that man?
0: He's still around. He he travels. He lives on a ship, and he travels every day of the year on a, on a huge ship with other influential, uh affluential people. It's really interesting the way he lives, but super brilliant guy. He talks a lot about the nervous system and how the body will send you symptoms if the nervous system is out of balance, either too parasympathetic or too sympathetic. And that's essentially, you're not, just not living congruently with your highest values and find out what those highest values are and live congruent with it. But to your point, even if you feel like this job, or this situation, it's not your highest values, how is it serving it? There's always a way that it's serving it and connecting those dots brings things into homeostasis.
1: Yeah, because i think for right now you know so many people like oh i don't like my job i'm just gonna quit it well you know what that's really not going to solve much because if you have kids at home and you have a mortgage to pay just copping out on life and expecting somebody else to look after you or the stuff to just manifest immediately is not going to be the thing so be a grown-up and figure out how you can change your view of something and change your narrative of something in order for it to be beneficial
0: Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? Head to the podcast notes down below. Click the link. Enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. What are your thoughts on distinguishing the difference? I want to know if there is a distinction for you between being motivated or wanting to be motivated and feel motivated versus being inspired. Is there a difference in those two words?
1: Motivation is for, oh my gosh, totally. I mean motivation sounds like like hard like I have to like psych myself up to do something and it's like I have to motivate myself to work out and it's just it's not necessarily something that brings any joy right and one of my values actually is having fun like one of the my top five values is fun Mm, I could see that I
0: could see that about about you
1: And so inspiration is way more fun. Inspiration is something that I can connect to deeply. And inspiration is something that could make, you know, make me do pretty much anything. Run a mile if I have to, which I don't like running, you know. But if I'm feeling inspired because of something else to do something, often my inspiration is not for myself. It's being inspired to do something better for the community or for someone else or for the greater good, it's going to inspire me to do something way more than if I do it for a selfish need.
0: Mm, that's a great distinction. Yeah, I'm with you on that. You know, I'd rather be inspired than just ch- trying to seek motivate. Motivation is fleeting. Inspiration is from within. It's, it's, it's in spirit. That's what it means, right? So I agree with you. It's for betterment of you. You're going to be happier and it's going to be better for your society, your community as well. Great distinction, Karen. Um, a beautiful
1: question. Yeah,
0: I was curious your thoughts on it. Great answer. Yeah,
1: that's probably the best question I've ever been
0: asked. Wow, thank you. Yeah, Well, great answer too. <laughs> so, you know, how does this relate? Because you, you talk about your sugar-free revolution, you have books, you have your awesome social media, where does keto and intermittent fasting and some of these ancient healing strategies and tools that I teach come into play with what you're talking about?
1: So my grandfather was Professor Christian Barnard, and he did the first human heart transplant. And um, I'm very heavily influenced by him and his thoughts. And he was a very big guiding force in my life growing up. I didn't see a lot of him, but when I did see him, it was always very inspiring. I mean, the man was, you know, because you've interviewed people like this, there are just people who are visionaries, like they were just born. To lead and to change the world. And he was that. And I had the privilege of growing up as this man's granddaughter, right? He was also quite a controversial figure and did many things that are not necessarily like wonderful, but his life was always under a microscope. So I grew up in this household where I was guided by this phenomenal man, who had this quote that said, I saved the lives of 150 people through heart transplantations. If I'd focused on preventative medicine earlier, I would have saved 150 million people. That's always in my head when I'm doing anything. You know, how do we change this? Another thing that he was very big on was this topic of suffering. Suffering is not ennobling. And so much of medicine and healthcare these days is to alleviate suffering but it's to prolong life right and so I feel we live in a society where there's more and more suffering and then we have the this pandemic epidemic of chronic disease that is all about suffering right so with my own addiction and mental health struggles I'm so familiar with suffering suffering and I are like best friends like most of my life was spent suffering by my own behavior, by my own thoughts, by the way that I conducted myself, right? And so much of type 2 diabetes, obesity, these chronic diseases that we are facing, are these self-imposed jails that we create for ourselves. So very much driven by that. And my mom was a world champion water skier at the age of 14. And another phenomenal woman, I know, just, I mean, I, I come from a, A spectacular family. And, uh, you know, interesting that coming from this spectacular family, I ended up being this drug addict, alcoholic, you know, went into the modeling industry at the age of 16, anorexic, bulimic, compulsive overeater, you know, um, landed up in, in rehab at the age of 24 with just broken dreams. Right. When I was young. I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to become a neurosurgeon or a neurologist. I wanted to change the way people think. I wanted to change the way people perceive things. And so I had these huge dreams. And suddenly I woke up at the age of 24, one day after a huge ben- like a binge and bender. And I went to the, the bathroom and to the tap and I was drinking straight from the tap because I was so dehydrated. I remember looking up and looking in the mirror and not recognizing this person who stared back at me. What I saw were these empty, dead eyes of a being I did not recognize. I was a shell of a person at that stage. And I remember just looking at myself and it was like my whole life flashed before my eyes. And it was like, I was standing in this field of like broken dreams and empty promises and, things that i didn't achieve and just loss and sadness and trauma all of which i had created myself and as i looked at myself i thought today's the day that i'm either going to take my own life or i'm going to choose life and that day at the age of 24 i chose life and i made a promise to myself to do whatever it was that i would do whatever it takes to make my life successful and to live a life that aligns with my values and my purpose. But at that point, I had no idea what my purpose was. I remember being in rehab and I was there for nine months. I did a detox, primary care, secondary care, tertiary care, and every day. And they would get so annoyed with me. They were I was like, what is my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. Why am I here? Like, what's the, what's the point? You know, anyway, it was a long process of getting to know myself and describing myself. And then when I left, my ex-husband and I opened these addiction treatment and psychiatric facilities in South Africa. So we started treating drug addiction, alcoholism. We had a like a multidisciplinary team of doctors and nurses and psychiatrists. And, you know, we did um, a lot of trauma focused therapy and nutrition and exercise. But I would see our patients coming in when they first arrived and they would be thin and scared and, and just like, you know, just from not eating and being addicted to stuff. And, but they would head straight for that vending machine they would head straight for the sugar and the refined carbs and the processed foods because that's how they, they were now starting to soothe their feelings. A year later, they would come back morbidly or Then, piece. Ben, I kid you not, every person that came back after one year to celebrate their one year in sobriety or recovery had put on at least double the weight. Mm,
0: so they just, swa- they just swapped the addiction.
1: Swapped the addiction. At the same time, I was watching TV in South Africa. It's a program called Carb Launch and Professor Tim Noakes was on there and he had just switched to the low carb diet. And you know, Prof Noakes, like he was the king of carb loading. He wrote a book about it. Like this is so important we have to carb load, otherwise we can't exercise because our glycogen stores are going to be depleted and like all this stuff. And he was talking about his shift to low carb. And um, he mentioned sugar and addiction in the same sentence. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the missing piece. Sugar, refined foods, carbohydrates that are highly processed are addictive. I can see it in our patients. I can see it in myself. So him and I collaborated and we started one of the world's first inpatient, inpatient sugar and carb addictions programs in Cape Town called HELP, the Healthy Eating and Lifestyle Program. From there, we did like in outpatient and online programs. And really, that's when I saw the healing power of low-carb and ketogenic diets as a nutritional therapy for people who need healing. They need to heal their bodies. They need to heal their minds. So the whole rehab was low-carb. We didn't allow any smoking either. So no sugar, no smoking. It turned a ton of people away because people don't want to get rid of their cigarettes and their those other addictions and sugar. But And I wish we'd recorded this somehow, but when we were in it, I didn't even think that this was going to happen. The doctor who managed the detox and the psychiatrist who managed the patient said, we cannot believe how these people's mental state is changing. These people previously diagnosed with bipolar are way more stable. These people who have these immense mood swings are way more stable. This diet is positively impacting Every single person in the clinic, whether they came in for sugar addiction or not, and so that was incredible, and that led me to write the book, and then speak at conferences, and then end up at CrossFit. I completely went off track, so I forgot what the question was.
0: (laughs) No, you kind of you answered it. The, the The question was, where does keto low carb come into play? And that's exactly the you know the backstory with Professor Tim Noakes. What an interesting incredible backstory. I love the name HELP, by the way. It's a perfect acronym. So that is super interesting. I I didn't realize that you did all that in South Africa. That that is what an incredible story, amount of experience you have in that field. I know that there's two types. I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but two types of people with sugar addiction, right? Those who have to be abstainers, meaning they can have no sugar, it'll open up Pandora's box. And then those who are more moderators where they could have maybe some foods that have sugar and it doesn't really cause problems, they could control it. Am I getting this right or is there something that I'm missing here?
1: You know, Ben, I have to tell you, my views shifted so much throughout the years. You know, At first I was like abstinence only, abstinence is the key. And then when I really started working with a ton of sugar and carb addicts and also because I was a sugar and carb addict myself, I started realizing that we need to heal the inside. And once we heal what's eating us, we can stop eating that, right? So once we start finding the sweetness inside, we will stop automatically looking for the sweetness outside in food. And that is what we were talking about earlier, finding your values, finding your purpose, finding that, finding that sweetness within. That will stop you looking for the sweetness outside. And so coming back to very practically, because I know I'm talking about stuff that's like quite like esoteric in nature. I think if somebody is really struggling with sugar, abstinence is great for 21 days, three months, whatever, get off that sugar, allow your body and your mind the space to reset and recalibrate and then start introducing it if you want to and see what happens and then shift and change and see what works and use other foods and really focus on that emotional, psychological, mental compulsion. For looking for this external substance, what does it mean? What am I really wanting? What is the need that needs to be soothed? And do that instead.
0: That's a, such a great quote. When you see this, the sweetness inside, and find the sweetness inside, you stop seeking it externally. That is so, so such a great quote, and it's so true. I, I agree with you 100. percent You mentioned CrossFit. How did that start? What did you do with CrossFit? And what were the years you worked with him? Because I was just telling you offline that I, I used to own a CrossFit gym from 2013 to 2018. So I know it's changed, but how did that come about?
1: So part of my work with Prof. Knox was that he was getting a ton of backlash and like so much, you know, just like being targeted by the medical community in South Africa for the work that we were doing together. They wanted to take away his medical license. So I decided I hate bullying and I am always going to fight for the underdog. It's just genetically who I am. So I decided to organize a huge low-carb conference in South Africa to help support Prof Noakes, who was getting all this backlash. I was like, you know what, Prof? This is what we're gonna do. We are gonna bring all the biggest names in the low-carb field to South Africa. They're gonna present the research and people will leave you alone. And so we got, for the first time in in the world, in 2015, all the biggest minds in low-carb converged on Cape Town. And for the first time, they were together in person. And it was um, Gary Tobbs, Jay Wortman, Steve Finney, Jason Fong, Zoe Harkon, Robert Sivis. You know, like I'm leaving some people out, but it was phenomenal. And Jason Fong at that point was a little unknown Canadian doctor who was making a little bit of a splash on YouTube. But you know what I mean? Like people were not necessarily taking him seriously. And I had a conversation with him the other day. And he was like, you know, that really put me on the map. So from that conference, great. um, So from that conference the, the reason I'm telling you this will make sense now once I wrote my book and it became a bestseller, I was asked to speak at a conference in San Diego um low carb USA and I was there doing my talk and when I finished I walked to the back you know I walked to the back to to get my mic in and this dude came up to me and he was like your talk was great I you know I loved it and I was like oh thank you so much what's your name and he was like I'm Greg Glassman and I was like oh cool nice to meet you what do you do and I uh, Doing CrossFit in South Africa at my kids' school already. But I had no idea yeah, CrossFit had a founder. Like, here we are in South Africa, we don't have access to international TV networks. So I didn't know that the CrossFit games even existed. So I meet this guy, and my brother introduced me to CrossFit. He was super into CrossFit. I go around the corner, I text him, I'm like, here's this guy. He says his name's Greg Glassman and that he founded CrossFit. But, you know, with my grandfather and the heart transplant, so many people would say, like, oh, I was involved, and they never were. So I don't really take many people that seriously my brother takes back, he's like, oh my God, that is true. He did found, he was the founder. Anyway, so Greg and I became really good friends. And my husband at the time and I, and the kids were really going to move to the U.S. because South Africa is dangerous. And we wanted to create more opportunities. and wanted to set up a sugar addiction center here. But when I arrived here, Greg called me up and he was like, hey, I want you to come on board and, and help me set up CrossFit Health. And I was like, I'm in. And so that's how I started working with CrossFit and CrossFit Health and you know, CrossFit Health at that point was a way for us to bridge the gap between nutrition and exercise because CrossFit's very big on both nutrition and exercise and the healthcare community.
0: That's super cool. Yeah, that's a great story. CrossFit is super popular. I know it was like keto, right? It w- there was a peak for keto and CrossFit and it's not as popular, but they're both very, very popular still to this day. So that's a that's a great story. And it's so important to bridge that gap because let's face it, a lot of people who do CrossFit They're not necessarily that healthy. I mean, they're not practicing the tools that we're teaching. They're dirty bulking. They're eating a whole bunch of artificial sweeteners. They're pounding whey protein shakes. And fitness and health should be synonymous, but usually it's not, unfortunately. So I love that you kind of helped bridge that gap.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think when people become too stuck on the external appearance in any training, right, when you're so focused on what you look like in the mirror and your booty and your, you know whatever, like you're gonna eat in a way that really just fuels that. And I think we lose sight of the bigger picture and how it's gonna affect us later in life, which really is what we need to be focusing on.
0: If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on. And I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses. And I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow. But if you were able to eliminate 99 of those 100 tabs and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, Two to three hours before I go to bed, which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, prescription and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100 percent blackout sleep mask that I take with me when I travel all the time. The greatest thing about them all backed up by science. They gave Keto Camp podcast listeners a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com/ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout, no space in between to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out, and let's get back to this episode. So you did a 90-day a carnivore experiment I saw with Dr. Shafi, who we love. He's been on the show too. He's a friend. Why did you do it, and how did it go?
1: I did two carnivore challenges. The one was about four years ago. I did that with Sean Baker. Oh, cool. Um, that, that was 90 days of ribeye
0: only. Oh, my gosh. And,
1: um, <laughs> it was over summer, and my kids were away with, with their dad in south america and so i was by myself i didn't have to worry about cooking any type of other food or you know vegetables or anything so i literally just had ribeyes. i would go put them on the grill i would just eat ribeye it was great towards the end i was like oh my god i can't do this for much longer like i desperately want to have a vegetable which and i don't even like vegetables that much so you know uh, it was good though i did my labs before and after so before that the, I started and then after, and they all improved. I mean, every single one, especially like cholesterol and everything that's supposed to not go be improved on this, it improved. Um, My inflammation markers were really low. It was it was just good. Like I, I loved it. Mental health obviously is a big thing for me as I've shared. And so that was a lot more stable and good as well for me. And it, it was just, it was a good experience. And then last year, I actually did a, a challenge with, Dr. Chafee and CrossFit, like a, par- a couple of us from CrossFit decided to do this challenge with Dr. Chafee. And it was harder the second time, Ben, I have to tell you, it was really hard. He's like, you can eat any animal products. So it wasn't just ribeye. It was like a lot of animal any, any type of animal protein. Yeah, and, um, so
0: chicken, eggs, yeah. bison, lamb, all, any animal product. Yeah, goes. fish,
1: anything. And um, it was that was hard, I have to say. It was very difficult to me to stick What to. was
0: hard about it? Uh, was it a mental thing, physical thing?
1: Yeah, totally. It was a mental thing. It was like, for I don't know why. I just maybe wasn't in a very good head space, but I was in that space where I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want somebody to tell me what I can eat and what I can't eat. And so it was like, you know, this rebellious teenager was like present all the time.
0: Plus your, your highest values is fun. And that didn't sound like fun to you at the time.
1: <laughs> and um, I mean, but here's the thing, like I did prioritize protein. I did definitely up my protein intake. And so there were many health benefits from that for sure. So it wasn't a wasted experiment. It was just harder.
0: Yeah. I love that you did it though. Good, good job. That's, that's awesome. The ribeye one, it's crazy. Cause the ribeye one sounds harder, but yet it was easier. But like you said, you're probably just a different time in your life and he yeah. e- e just felt restricted. And I get that. I do carnivore from time to time too. I love it. I'll do 30 days or 40 days, maybe like three or four times a year. And I've done that same thing. I've done labs day one, day 40, and it's transformed the labs. I also feel great. But I notice when I do carnivore, I'm more satiated. So I'm less hungry. So I find myself doing more like one meal a day which I don't want to do every day because I want to get enough protein, but I'm just like mentally so, or physically I should say, so satiated, but mentally I feel like there's something missing (laughs) and it's just, it's just meat. but there's something missing here. So like my mind is trying to catch up to my body, but I feel great with it. And as long as I cap it around 30 or 40 days, it's a good sweet spot for me.
1: Yeah. I think that's the key for sure.
0: So what do you think of this? You know, Doctor Sha. I love Anthony. He's great. First of all, he's such a brilliant man, and I love that he's growing so fast. He deserves it. But we don't agree. Like he thinks we should all be carnivore. Or actually, he. I I shouldn't put words in his mouth. He says if you could digest certain plant toxins, go for it. But he believes most people cannot. And but he is of course carnivore for life. He recommends that for a lot of people. I don't see it that way. Kind of like what you said with the sugar addiction, like heal inside first. So heal the gut first so you could introduce these things, these vegetables, plant toxins in. And as long as you're processing them, I'm okay with you eating them. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I don't believe carnivore for life. I think it's great as a therapeutic tool. And I think Sean Baker's even changed his tune a little bit. Like I had an interview with him recently and he was like, look, carnivore as a therapeutic tool for people who need it, especially with like autoimmune stuff is great. I'm not saying that everybody should be on it. And I think that that's, for me and the experience I've had is definitely a better way to look at it. You know, I love, I love Dr. Chafee. I really, really do. I don't like the whole term that he uses at plants trying to kill us. I just worry about him in the sense that it's one of those things where people can just focus on that one slogan and it takes away the importance of the message, the bigger message that he's trying to convey, right? I'm not gonna do it full time. I definitely do it as you do when I need a reset or like mental health stuff or, you know, just simplify my life in a way. And I think it's a great therapeutic tool. And I think everyone should probably try and experiment with it if you're keen on it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think most people would most people would benefit from it too, short term. How do you personally, Karin, identify these plant toxins that work for you versus some that might not work for you. Like for example, like somebody can eat broccoli and feel good, you might have broccoli and not feel good. So how do you determine which vegetables work for you?
1: You know, it's just very much about eating them and seeing how I feel afterwards or the next day. I'm naturally drawn to some things more than I am to other. And so it's like just really, really having that mind-body connection, knowing what my body feels, like being very connected with, does this feel right? Does this feel good? Yes, no, okay, well, you know what I mean? I'm not gonna eat broccoli and, and cauliflower because I really don't like the taste of it. I also really don't like aubergine or eggplant, whatever you call it, it doesn't feel good, it tastes horrible, it stings my mouth. Like those things, obviously, if it's already causing a problem like in my mouth, it's just not something that I wanna include in my diet.
0: That's a great way to look at it. That's exactly what I do. Same thing. And that's what I teach my students because carnivore, like if you use it the right way, what an amazing elimination diet. Let's say you do 30 days or 40 days or 60 or 90. Then you start introducing broccoli. How do you feel? I feel really good. Nothing has changed, no symptoms. Okay, broccoli is a safe food. But you introduce eggplant and you're like, uh, this burning is in my mouth and I don't really, I, I'm getting like joint pain. Okay, eggplant's not good for you, right? So it's what an amazing way to do, amazing thing to do, identify these foods. Oh. And I must
1: tell you, you know, like for something, like vegetables, I'm actually okay with. But if I have dairy, if I have a cappuccino, which I love coffee, you know, I'm never, Me that too. was one of the biggest thing on, on Dr. Chafee's challenge was giving up coffee. I was like, I can't do this. But ah, anyway.
0: that's probably why you didn't like and it. That's it. Why I- <laughs>
1: But, um, you know, if I have dairy, then the next day I have these dark rings under my eyes and I can just feel that it's not, like my body feels sluggish and tired. And so for me, dairy is way worse than vegetables, for me.
0: What about goat and sheep dairy? Do you get the same reaction? Perfect. Okay.
1: No, I love goat and sheep raw. Raw is also better than, than anything else. So I will do a lot of raw dairy. Um, raw kefir and like you know what i mean like those things are are great so it's, but it's pasteurized
0: was, cow dairy that's the problem
1: and, right and when when i was in mexico recently like they when they make cappuccinos and things they use that boxed milk that really highly processed milk that can last months right and oh my gosh the stomach pains i would get after i had that was awful and, and I'm pretty easygoing, you know what I mean? I'm not fanatical about anything right now in my life. But that to me was like, yeah, this is not worth it.
0: Yeah, not worth it at all. I remember the several times I've been to Mexico, more like Tulum, Cancun. Couldn't find heavy cream anywhere. I don't know if like, same thing for supermarket. you?
1: Supermarket, yeah, but we had to, no. And, and when I was in Mexico City, couldn't find it anywhere. And I couldn't find a big supermarket. When we went to this other little place called Puerto Escondido, we went to this huge supermarket and they had heavy cream. And so oh, wow. I would make my own coffee with heavy cream. Because like, then that's the reason I go to bed at night. It's so that I can have my coffee with heavy cream in the morning.
0: <laughs> you go to bed, so you have a reason to wake up in the morning and have some coffee. Yeah. Totally, I'm excited. I, I, love, I love my coffee too. I actually have it here. I'm drinking from a straw from this morning. So I made some nice organic coffee. I put a little bit of some heavy cream in there. And I put some creatine and some uh, prebiotic uh, powder in there too. So it's like, yeah, that's what I had this morning. What, what, how do you make your coffee?
1: Um, I just basically have a coffee machine, like a really nice espresso machine because I like strong coffee. And then I will um, take literally two tablespoons of heavy cream maximum and I'll mix it with water and I'll put it in my milk frother and I'll heat it up and then, oh, so-
0: God. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, that, that's, my, that's my kind of style right there. What, what are your thoughts on, on artificial sweeteners and better options to them as, in terms of sugar replacements?
1: I Actually, it's so funny. I was, I was watching something on Diet Coke this morning, and um, here's the thing. If you're an alcoholic and you're going to drink Diet Coke instead of vodka that's going like, to make you vomit and for blackout and stuff, drink the Diet Coke.
0: It's an upgrade.
1: Exactly. So if you are doing artificial sugars right now because you need to get off something that's consequences are worse, go for it. You are going to get to a point where you reassess and you're like, you know what? What's the better option here? What's the greater, higher good here? And then you do that, right? So constantly challenging yourself to try the better version of something is great. Yes, artificial sweeteners are not ideal, but sometimes we need them as a stepping stone to something else. And so really, I have nothing bad to say about them. I mean, it's not ideal for sure. And if you're just using it as a crutch, like question yourself as to why. But, um, you know, it's not the end of the world.
0: Great. I agree with that. What would be safer choices? Let's say they've re- reached a point where, okay, we, we use it as a crutch it was a step up from drinking regular soda or alcohol, what would be better options? Like what are your favorite sugar replacements?
1: I like the the component of removing that need for sweetness, for the sweet taste. So completely like changing my taste buds by removing that sweet. I don't drink any sweet drinks anymore. I drink club soda and I love club soda, not sparkling water because it's more bubbly. And that to me stimulates my, you know what I mean? My senses, coffee and tea, no sugar, nothing, you know, just, Move away from it. It's going to take about 40 drinks before that becomes your new normal. So just deal with it. Like, get rid of it. It's not needed. It's not necessary. Like drink water, drink club soda, you know, put lemon in it if you want, like fruit. I don't care. Not fruit juice, but, you know, pieces of fruit if you want to make it look pretty or cucumber or mint or something like that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I'm a big fan of sparkling water too. And I've, I've seen that people will turn a sugar addiction to like a monk food addiction, and that's not ideal. Uh, maybe it's a good stepping stone, but eventually yeah, you want to get it off, off of it altogether. So I like that advice. Yeah,
1: I think it's one of the big problems with the keto community as well. It's like all those these keto fake junk foods. Like we're just taking junk food and ketoing it, and it's not okay.
0: It's not. Yeah, sometimes they have seed oils, they have sugar replacements and artificial sweeteners, or even... Gluten and some keto products, which is which is wild. So yeah, I like that. Um, you do you want to share a little bit about your summit you have coming up? Because uh, I am blessed to be a part of it, and thank you so much. I'm honored to be a part of it. But why are you doing the summit? Where can they learn more about it? Okay,
1: so this summit is following on from the low carb summit that I organized in Cape Town, right? This is what drives me. It's the fun. It's the thing that I find most fun and exciting. It's my passion. Okay. Education, excitement, and experience. That I wanna bring together in a conference or a summit or an event that educates people as to how to improve their lifestyle through diet, exercise, addressing relationships, finding community, all those aspects of health that are so important. Um, Health is not just about diet and exercise, it's not. It's multifaceted and we've had this conversation and, and your conversation blew my mind. Anyway, so what I did was I decided to organize this virtual summit that's happening in October from October 17th till the 21st, five days. We have 30 plus speakers, yourself included. You're going to do this phenomenal workshop. And I couldn't be more excited about that. Um, And basically what it is, it's 20 minute talks by these world renowned speakers where we look, where we, we tell a story. We go from where it all went wrong, right? How we got to where we are today. And then like people like Rob Lustig is gonna talk about the eight metabolic pathways that leads, he calls them the hateful and the grateful eight, you know, to metabolic derangement and mitochondrial dysfunction. And then we have Gary Taubes talking about why a calorie is not a calorie. You know, and so we have all these people telling the story. Nina Teichel is talking about why saturated fat's not bad for you. And then we tell this story and we have phenomenal speakers. And then we go into relationships and we talk about sexuality and orgasms and everything else as well. So I want people to have a full vibrant experience of what health is and what they can do to change their own health. But I want to make it fun and exciting. I'm on a mission to make health sexy and fun again. Okay. And I know you're on the same mission, whether you want to use those words or not, like we need to make health something that we're inspired to have this in our lives, right? We don't want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat Oreos. We want to be outside bettering ourselves and our community. So this year is a virtual event. You can go to Revita Fest. R-E-V-I-T tafest.com, get your tickets there. Dan's going to be doing the most phenomenal workshop, which I'm so excited about. We're going to have other workshops, so yoga, breath work. And what I want to do, what my ultimate goal is, is to merge the health and science education with the fun and excitement of a music festival. And so hopefully in 2024, we'll have an in-person conference and I want everyone to come and dance and play, have fun, be educated.
0: I love it. You could just tell that Karen is lit up and excited about this. And that you're living in congruence with your highest values because you got so excited to talk about this event. Yeah, everybody, go check it out. It's revitafest.com. I'm honored to be a part of it. The lineup of speakers are amazing. And it's not your typical summit or festival, whatever you want to call it, as you can hear from what Karen just shared. It's so many different avenues that all lead towards health. So I love that you're focusing on that and making it fun at the same time. So, everybody, there's a link down below if you're watching on YouTube, or if you're listening, there's a link down below in the podcast notes. Um, I have one last question for you, Karen. We spoke last week. We did an interview, or two weeks ago, I forget, two weeks ago, and we were talking about vitamin G, gratitude, and the amazing healing benefits of being in a grateful state and feeling gratitude. So, I want to ask you, Karen, what are you grateful for today?
1: Okay, so firstly, obviously, I can't just give you a straight answer. When I was in rehab, I, they nicknamed me fear because I was petrified of everything and I was petrified of myself. Oh, and wow. so my counselor taught me that the antidote to fear is gratitude and that fear cannot exist when gratitude is present. It cannot. If I'm in a space of gratitude, there's no fear. It's the most powerful Powerful, you know, antidote to feeling scared and worrying and everything. Anyway, what am I grateful for today? I'm so intensely grateful for you. That experience, that interview that we had two weeks ago, connected me with my heart and my passion in such a big way, Ben, that it has had a rippling effect that's not only been good to me, but to my kids, to my friends, to the opportunities that have come into my life. Like it's been. Incredible. So if you are ever doubting the impact that you have on people, just know that the ripple effect that you have is immense. It's inspiring. And I have no doubt you are going to change the lives of a billion people.
0: That is so beautiful. I, I, I so appreciate that. I received that, Karen. Thank you. It was such an amazing conversation, not only that we have today on my show, but with you a couple of weeks ago, because your energy, your enthusiasm your zest for life. It's just like, how could you not have a good time with you? How could you not just share authentically? And I'm, I'm so grateful for you too. I'm grateful we collaborated and we're going to change those lives together. Uh, you know, This conversation is going to change so many lives as well. So Karin, thank you so much for what you're doing. Where else besides RevitaFest.com, where else can they, the audience go check you out?
1: Um, Well, I have my sugar, my online 21 day sugar free challenge at sugarfreerevolution.com. So it's there. I haven't really promoted it or done anything, but it's like a 21 day video course challenge. And then my Instagram is sugarfreerevolution and I'm on Facebook as I think it's Karen Thompson Sugar Free Revolution. Yeah, it is. But yeah. um, if you go, if you go on Instagram, like find me there, and uh, I'll be posting and updating links and stuff. I just haven't been very good at that, but I need to. I need to do it.
0: Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. The next time you come on my podcast, we're gonna do it in person right here in Miami. Okay?
1: I cannot wait. Like, I'll be there next week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited for the summit and all the good things you're doing and all the collaborations. Thank you again.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed that incredible conversation with Karin. Her website is The Sugar-Free Revolution. We talked about her upcoming summit called Revita Fest. It's going to be incredible. I'm a featured speaker and the other speakers are really amazing. Go check it out. We're going to drop a link for that down below in the podcast notes along with her podcast. She's got a great podcast, her social media and all the notes we talked about today, and her book, if you want to get her book as well. If you want to watch the video version of today's interview and all interviews, that could be found on youtube.com slash keto camp. Please share this with a friend. Please share it with a family member. Please share it with somebody you know who's dealing with addiction. This could change their life forever. Copy and paste the link in the text message and ask them to listen to it and ask them for their thoughts on this conversation. Please consider leaving the show at rating and review if you haven't done so already. And thank you so much for spending part of your day with Karin and myself. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice.